Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical... Biblical. Biblical topics. Uh, this week is a special podcast where we're talking about biblical things. Right. Well, this one will just restart. I mean, that's already enough. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, Grove.Church. Yeah, so feel free to download one of those PDFs. You can read along with us if you're not already. Uh, and if you have questions along the way, we would love to take some time at the end of every podcast as much as we possibly can, because there has been some weeks total transparency where we've not taken questions. Oh my but gosh. we'd love for you to send those questions in. Uh, you can do that one of two ways. One is an email uh, that you can send an email to info.grove.church, put the subject line, let's read the Bible podcast question, uh, and then send it away and we'll get those questions and be able to take some time answering them. Or you can jump on the page. The Facebook. That's uh, what it used to be called. Look at, up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington, and send us a direct message and ask us questions there. We get those as well, and we look forward to those questions. So right. go free to send them in. Well, today we continue our tour of the Minor Prophets. So we're yes. not doing all of them, but it seems it's like... A, it's a three-hour tour, if you know what I'm saying. So. Three-hour tour. That's like my old, like millennial, older Gen X in me. The one thing I learned is... Um, Gilligan's Island. You can sing the theme. Do you know that you can sing Amazing Grace to that tune it's like amazing grace how sweet the sound yes, saved a wretch like me anyway i think i've actually seen someone do that have you it's a fun fact anywho we're talking about nahum today yeah no, uh, we're talking about so hour. last week or i guess two weeks ago uh because aaron was on vacation last week yes. we talked about micah the week before that we talked about obadiah this week we're going to talk about nahum as we continue kind of our journey through honestly it wasn't intentional but as we look through the way that the reading plan fell it's just kind of hitting up a bunch of minor prophets yeah it's true which Re- in a yeah, in a way, I think it's a good thing because... It's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, and you also just... You don't see many um, messages preached. It's I feel true. like Jonah gets a little... He gets, he gets a lot He of gets attention. love. Hosea gets some love. Yeah. And Hosea... I mean, Hosea... Great messages out of both of those. But yeah, like there's not much Habakkuk or Nahum or Obadiah. Malachi Micah. gets some love because of the Messianic prophecy. Yeah. Micah just gets the uh, the Christmas verse, yep. which is nice, but you know... There's more to it than that. Yep. It's so, true. Anyway, uh, as far as resources we're using today, we have the ESV Study Bible... Logos Bible Software, the Reformation Study Bible, and the Essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates. So kind of our standard list of resources. All right. So to jump in, um, like so many of the minor prophets, we don't actually know much about Nahum personally. So I know. Shocker. There's a few that we know. I mean, like Jonah and Hosea, we know a lot about who they are. Uh, Micah's kind of like that in the middle where mm-hmm. we get a little bit more about him. And then we have like Obadiah and Nahum and yeah. Amos uh, where they're just kind of. Who? Yeah, exactly. So they, they it's just their name. So yeah. what we and know just, about. And just a reminder too, sorry to interrupt you. But oh, just you're, a reminder you're for, if you're listening, if this is the first Minor Prophet podcast you're listening to from us, uh, Minor Prophets is nothing to do with whether they're significant or not. It has everything to do with length. Major Prophets, Minor Prophets. So when you say Minor Prophets, we're talking about the Prophets. I think it's actually 13 or 12 of them, 12 of them, 13. I don't remember now. Um, I used to know as a kid because mm-hmm. I memorized all the books of the Bible, but uh, it's the length of the the books themselves, which makes them minor versus major. Yeah. You want to be a major Just prophet? Just so you guys know. You want to get up to the big leagues you have kid? To have like 60 chapters. You're going to have to write a lot or uh, be Daniel. Yeah. Because Daniel's <laughs> like, is it 12 or 16? I don't remember. He's now. he's 12. 12. Yeah. He's he's a short book, but boy, does he nail the prophecies. So I think- Dude, maybe, yeah, he cranks it maybe out. Maybe that's why he got- uh, called up to the bigs. Uh, but anyway. That's true. I never thought about that. Yeah, Total random thought. Anyways, back to Nahum. Uh, but we have reason to believe... Oh, sorry. So well, all we know about him is that he's Nahum and he's from Elkosh. So there you go. Uh, and Brilliant. Fun fact, we don't know where Elkosh was. So 
unlike Micah, where it's That's like, brilliant. hey, it was 22 miles south and it was in the lowlands. Elkosh is like, yeah, it's somewhere. Probably in Judah. Could have been in Israel, I suppose, but it's somewhere. We have reason to believe it's in Judah. So there you go. Um, as far as dates go, though, it is actually, we can narrow it down uh, quite a bit. Yeah, so within almost 50 years. And yeah, within 50, which if you're listening to that and you're saying 50 years is a big time gap, not when it comes to ancient literature. Yep, so not at all. It's actually, usually, it's nothing. Uh, with biblical text, you're talking, uh, usually it's a few hundred years that you can get in, in the Old Testament specifically where it could be written. And then with other ancient texts, it's hundreds and hundreds of years that you could have uh, had it written over. So uh, nailing it down within 50, good deal. So the reason we can narrow it down is because he references the fall of Thebes as something that people are aware of. So it's not like a prophetic thing where like Thebes and then Thebes will fall. It's like, hey, just like Thebes fell. And then he references the fall of Nineveh as a future event. So Thebes falls in 664 BC and uh, Nineveh falls in 612 BC. So we have that chunk of time. So between, between 664 and 612 is when uh, this book was written. Uh, I would probably, I would think closer to the 612 because it seems like it would be weird to like have all this prophecy happen. And then it's like 50 years later, it all comes down. But I mean, that's just conjecture. Some prophets it, have been worse. Yeah, it's been, yeah. I mean, some, some prophetic prophet- literature say worse. Yeah, that's no, true. So the I guess for me, it's just like the tone of it makes it seem like this is something that you will see in your lifetime as opposed to like, this is something that your grandchildren will live through. But again, that's told, That's just me thinking, by the way. That's so speculative. That, yes, complete speculation on my part. Uh, the book of Nahum is often seen as a counterpart to Jonah. So if you remember Jonah, his whole thing is he... Uh, I love the book of Jonah. <laughs> it's a great book. Uh, he's a prophet. He gets told to go to Nineveh. He's like, no, I'm going to die. And then he goes and anyway. He went, I remember just... I know we're not talking about it, but I remember in Jonah, I always thinking like, why is it such a big deal to go to Nineveh? Oh, yeah. And if you don't know enough about Nineveh, then I understand that. Like to a degree, they were just horrible people. Um, but still, why not go to Nineveh? And then you find at the end, he just, because I knew you'd give them grace. Oh, yeah, he gets mad at God because of the grace that he gives. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the verses in front of me, but it's basically like, I knew that you were a merciful God. <laughs> like it's kind of, Jonah just turns into a little yeah. bit of a baby at the end. Um, and that's how it ends. And when we, I remember when we did the episode on Jonah and we We'll talk about this because it's important for Nahum as well. Um, when we did the episode of Jonah, it's really easy to kind of just say like, man, Jonah's such a baby and he's kind of a racist for hating Nineveh. Um, and on the one hand, yes, that's true. He needs to yeah. understand that God's um, God's redemption is actually for everyone. Everybody, yeah. On the other hand, we also need to remember that it's, this isn't, uh, I'm trying to think, the Israelites don't hate the Ninevites for nothing. Like this is not a thing where they're just like peacefully living up in the North and the Israelites like, oh, gross. Yeah, they're not just victims. Okay? They're not slapping people with fishes like <laughs> VeggieTales would have you believe. Um, but no, these are a brutal people yeah, yeah. who are oppressing Israel. They're oppressing Judah. Um, the Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. There we go to the Lord of the Rings. As, a, as an analogy. I, you know, my mind actually didn't even go there. Look so, at that. I, I'm trying to keep it alive. So. Um, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Not the whole time. Uh, I should have, I think it's Petra. I don't know is the ca- I don't remember. It might not be that. Sorry. So don't, it's, their old capital was taken over by the Medes and then they moved their capital to Nineveh at some point. So not that that's super important to know, but just in case you're like, when I say Nineveh is the capital, you're like, wait, haven't I looked it up? That's like, not it, true. It wasn't the capital the whole time. It was and the we know there's a few time. of you listeners who would probably do that, say that, well, that's not what this says. So, oh my gosh. But you would do it just to keep us on our toes, not to spite us. So. And honestly, thank you for that because <laughs> yes, you wanna make, we want to make sure we get this right. So all that to say, Ninevites oppressing people. Jonah goes and it's all about God's mercy for the Ninevites. Mm-hmm. And they actually take him up on it because the book of Jonah yeah, is about a hundred. Yeah. The book of Jonah is about a hundred years before this. Um, but in that hundred years, which is a few generations, 
the Ninevites turn back. And uh, we don't know how long it lasts as far as uh, the repentance in Jonah's day, but it it it, it wasn't super duper long. Yeah. Um, so they kind of go back to their oppressive ways. Um, and then Nahum is the story also of Nineveh, but this is the story of God's judgment. So instead instead of Jonah being the story of God's mercy on Nineveh, Nahum is the story of God's judgment on Nineveh. Uh, and then the book actually breaks up. It's three chapters. All three of the chapters are really distinct, which is nice. So as far as reading it goes, it's pretty easy to go Nahum 1, Nahum 2, Nahum 3. Here's what they're about. Um, and then the uh, the essence of the Old Testament gives a really helpful breaking down of what they are because it, it calls chapter 1, uh, the destruction of Nineveh decreed. Chapter two, the destruction of Nineveh described. And then chapter three, the destruction of Nineveh defended. Ooh. And here's the thing, honestly, and this this is going to sound sarcastic, but it's not. I want to give, um, let me give their names here. I want to give either Ed Henson or Gary Yates credit there. Because that's, I mean, that's some fine alliteration. That's any pastor. <laughs> Dude, I was just going to make not a comment. Just, not just three Ds. Three, three D's. Oh, oh, man. Just. It's, it's DNs, bro. DNs? No. It, uh, D- it's ND. Sorry. ND. Yeah. So decreed. Oh, D and D and D bro. Defended. That's all. It's, I mean, it's Gary, if you're listening, Ed, great work. Anyway. So the first section is the destruction of Nineveh decreed. So the first chapter of Nahum decrees that Yahweh's wrath is coming for the Assyrians. As a reminder, when you see the Lord in all capitals, that's what it is. It's using God's proper name, Yahweh there. Um, It is interesting to see how God's wrath is juxtaposed with his grace. Um, And so when I was reading this, that's actually what struck me in the first chapter. Mm -hmm. I was like reading through the first chapter and it kind of feels bipolar is the wrong word, but it's kind of showing like God is good. Did you say God's bipolar? No, (laughs) but it's kind of like God is good and he's coming for you. (laughs) Like that's so like, here's a couple of examples. Uh, In Nahum, this is uh, chapter, all this is in chapter one. So this is verses two and three. It says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Oh, that's nice. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in a whirlwind and a storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. So it's kind of all this stuff is- That's kind of intimidating. Like Yahweh is wrathful. Oh, dude, the, Nahum, the way Nahum talks about God is pretty yeah. intense. Um. But then like right in the middle, it's like the Lord is slow to anger, which we or close. We, we, we normally hear in like the Psalms and yeah. like in worship music that we yep. sing today. It's like, oh, I slow to anger. And it is a wonderful thing. But here he's like, and yeah, he he's, is. he's slow to anger and you've angered him. And it's like, coming. So way to go. Uh, verses seven through eight gives the Lord is good, a stronghold in day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, which is like. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to put that on a wall. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into the darkness. <laughs> I'm not so, going to put that on a wall. Yeah, so like, <laughs> it's just one of those things where like, oh man, I just, I loved, I loved reading through this. I, I mean, full disclosure, I guess I'd never really, I've read through Nahum, but I've never like, yeah, done like a study the reading plan, reading the Bible. Yeah, exactly. So like, I think that's the thing just to be honest too, with when we come to these podcasts is being able to like, we slow read, like we stop. We read, we're considering, we're trying to understand it so we can communicate it. Uh, so it just allows us to have a little bit more fun <laughs> reading it as well. Because, dude, it's it's it, you're right. I, I love the I love that you use the juxtaposition um, because first off, it's a big word and it's fun to use. Um, it's fun to you say. just winked at me, bro. That's weird. Um, I think I blinked. But no, you, you winked. You I'm pretty my, sure you know yeah. just one eye. Well, um, here's another one for you. That's okay. Anyways, uh, but I just, I just I think it's so true. Like you, you're taking two things and seeing them squashed together. 
Uh, and it's, it's kind of like, like I said, it's intimidating. Like, oh man, like, Lord, you're, yeah, you're slow to anger, but oh wait, you're coming for me. So <laughs> it's that, it's that when my dad used to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And he, in the middle of, of him spanking me. Right. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I'd always You're tell, holding the paddle. I'd always tell my dad, like, we can, we can swap if you need, if you want. And then, and then I got spanked harder. <laughs> but, yeah, pretty much. And I covered once and so don't ever do that. But um, yeah, I just think that the, the, the beautiful tension that exists between God's wrath and grace and that they do coexist, which is crazy to think about. So, yeah. So there you go. And then we, th- this final juxtaposition, I think, is it's less about like, Here's God, how God treat. Well, it is actually. Well, well, I'll read it and we'll talk about it. So, in fourteen verses fourteen through fifteen, it says, "The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be per, uh, perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news." Which that also sounds very um, yes. Is it Psalms? I don't remember how. No. Um, is it how beautiful the feet yeah. are those who bring good news. I, don't, I think it's actually New Testament. Is it? Okay. I think so. I should have I'll written that down. Out. You keep uh, talking. Thank you. Uh, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He it's is Isaiah. Idol. Isaiah? There you go. Ah, you should have known that one. Aaron, I I, Aaron loves Isaiah. Funny. The funny thing is like I totally, as I'm like, oh, that's right. It is Isaiah. Because I remember taking a deep dive into Isaiah. But anyways. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, but it's beautiful. Like that picture is beautiful. And so here, all of these juxtapositions are about the way that God treats those who he calls his enemies and those who, um, I guess, his, his chosen people, I guess, is one way you could say it. So, the, you know, the first one is basically, the Lord is slow to anger, but you've angered him and he's coming for you. The yeah, second right? one is, the Lord is good. He is mighty. He's a refuge. Um, but if you're not taking refuge in him. There's an overflowing flood coming to get you. Yep. And then the final one here is essentially the total destruction of Assyria being promised and then the vows towards Judah. And even like, even in the areas where it's the prophets go after Judah, which is a lot of the prophet uh, prophetic books that we read in Jerusalem specifically, it's never a complete destruction. There's always a promise of restoration that will come afterward. And But with Assyria, you'll notice it's absent. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, true. And we'll talk about that when we get to the, the end of the book. All right, so chapter two. If chapter one is the destruction of Nineveh is decreed, chapter two is the destruction of Nineveh is described. Um, so I just, I read, I love the language of this because it's essentially, here's exactly what's going to happen. I dare you to stop it. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, like God's having some fun here because he's really mad at the Ninevites. So on uh, chapters, this is all in chapter two. So verses one and two, it says, the scatterer has come up against you, man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength, for the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel, for plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. So essentially he's saying, this isn't a sneak attack. This isn't a thing that they're not going to see coming. He's saying, no, by all means, get in your fortresses, get ready, send out your scouts, watch what's coming, try and stop it. It's not going to be stopped. So... Which I mean, that's 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 pretty sweet. That's like it's so true. I'm I'm imagining like Liam Neeson in Taken, where he's just like, listen, I will find you. That's so. funny because I think of Zach uh, Brown. Bet, bet. That's what I feel like. He's like bet. <laughs> what, this is happening. One, bet. Of, one of our one of our friends. That's what he uses. He just says bet. But anyway, he still says that. I'm pretty sure he's oh, a, he still he's does. a little out of date. But yeah, uh, it was just in essence like want to bet like. I bet you can't, it won't happen. So it's, it's all the shorthand stuff of the, the 
older, what, younger millennials and older Gen Zers. I was just saying, so when you said ben. Zach Brown, people didn't think of the band. They thought of, I was just saying oh, that we have, yeah, we have a friend named Zach, Zach Brown. Brown. Yeah. So that's fair. I was, I was thinking context matters too. So when you said it, I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm. But bet. Bet. Anyway. It's uh, coming. Bet. So, so after describing the destruction that will come. So, I mean, just read through chapter two. It's essentially this image of just God coming forth and just wrecking yeah. everywhere he goes. It's true. Uh, there's a chilling message at the end of the chapter. So I actually just put all this in here. So there's some poetry and then it goes into a little bit of prose. So chapter start. This is verses 10 through 13. Desolate. Desolate. Yeah, I guess I kind of said that kind of weird. Uh, desolate and desolation and ruin hearts melt and knees tremble anguish in all loins all faces grow pale where is the lion's den the feeding place of the young lions where the lion and lioness went where his cubs were with none to disturb the lion tore enough for his cubs and strangled prey for his lionesses he filled his caves with prey and his dens with torn flesh. So that's kind of the end of the description of what's going to happen. And then we jump into this prose part and it says, behold, I am against you declares the Lord and I will burn your chariots in smoke and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. Like, oh my snatch. Think about how and it's so much when we read the Bible, especially in light of the gospel, we skip over things. Mm-hmm. Think about how terrifying the the sentence, "Behold, I am against you," declares the Lord yeah. of Hosts. Like that's no, thank you. No, like and that's yeah. I mean that's just, that's a terrifying idea. It's very that true. The Creator God of the heavens and the earth of the entire universe is like I'm coming for you. So name name scary if you're reading this. It's, it's almost like he's. I can't imagine being named and communicating these words to God's people with with ease at all. No, like I would, I would, I, I and maybe it's just because of my personality and how I'm wired. But man, I, I don't like, I don't like bringing wrath down on anyone. Like, but even my kids, like I hate disciplining my kids. So I can't imagine speaking like these words from God towards people, my people, and well. And I also wonder, is he saying these things to the Ninevites? You got, you got to believe he is. I mean, I guess he's he's either standing up and saying these things to them, or maybe he like wrote it down and sent it over. I don't know. But like most, well, I think most part- prophetic word is delivered by the Orally. voice. Yeah. Yeah. So there is something about, I mean, it, and the other thing too is like prophets were, for the most part, highly regarded. You don't mess with them. Um, like it's not like any well, tell not to Jezebel. Well, here's what I was going to say. Like you typically and historically, there is a certain level of respect and fear right. for the prophets in general throughout biblical history. We see that. Um, so we could totally be saying a harsh message to the Ninevites for sure, but still at the same time, man, I, like desolate desolation and ruin, like hearts melt, knees tremble, anguish in all loins. All faces like I, I don't want to. You say don't it. want anguish, anguish in your loins. Well, I, yeah, it's I was I wasn't day. entirely going to go there, but like that image, of, even in of itself, man, like yeah. So I just, it's just, it's I can't fathom the weight Nam had to have had, right? In speaking these words to the Ninevites, but anyways, yeah, it's just. And then behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord host. Oh my gosh, like such a scary line. And it's like, okay, Lord, like, and I get, anyways, like it's just, it's just mind boggling to me as as. Is you because sometimes like I just I don't want to put myself in their place, but I want to try and to understand if this were what God asked me to say, right? How would I feel like? 
oh, people of Marysville. Like, I don't, I just don't know, man. I, it, I, I would be trembling as I'm speaking. All I know is if you have that message, you should use a megaphone and have a sandwich board. <laughs> and stand on the corner in a big city. Um, so anyways, <laughs> on my way into a baseball game. Uh, so the last section here we'll call. And we've definitely never seen that happen. Uh, anyways, third section. We'll call this chapter three. The destruction of Nineveh is defended. Uh, so in the final chapter, the reasons for Nineveh's destruction is described. So basically, if you're saying like, but God, why would you do this? He's like, let me tell you. You asked. I'm glad you asked. Here's your answer. (laughs) Thanks for asking. Uh, Woe to the bloody city and full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, the galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heads of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over bodies. And for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and deadly charms who betrays nations with her with her whorings and peoples with her chains charms behold i am against you <laughs> declares the lord of hosts and i will lift up your skirt over your face and i will make the nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms to your shame i will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you like a spectacle and all who look at you will shrink away and say wasted is nineveh who will grieve for her where shall i seek comforters for you so there you go it's kind of he's Dang. laying out this exact. This is what. And he's no matter using, how many times I read that, bro, like it's it's heavy. Yep. Um, and awkward. But yeah, and you talk about yeah. I, I think like basically the idea of it's he's talking about like they've just made war mm-hmm. with everyone. And I was I forgot where I read this. Um, oh shoot, I read it somewhere. But basically, in in Assyrian mythology. Um, Oh, it was in like this weird, sorry, it was in this weird like history of the world video that I was watching, but it was just kind of going over like Mesopotamian history. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, but their their myth, their mythical structure was about how when they stopped battling, that would be when the end of the world came, when they stopped with war. And so huh. they were a very warmongering people and yeah. it was built into their culture that essentially we're always fighting and that is who we are. Um, and that's what God is referencing here. He's saying horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of courses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. He's getting at them for essentially yeah. they're, they just refuse to have peace. And that's kind of where we're at. It's also interesting. I was thinking about this as I read it. There's, there's a lot more in the poetry sections of Nahum. There's a lot more lines of poetry in a stanza than I'm, than I'm used to. Um, and maybe it's because I've read a lot of lots of Job where it's normally like a two or a four line structure, but like that verse three is a six line structure, which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting. So uh, if you're sitting at home thinking to yourself, why do I care? You don't have to. You just, probably don't have yeah, to. Yeah. You probably don't even really care. Yeah. So I just, there uh, might be a couple of English people that do English majors. I mean, English, That's I mean, what I mean maybe, by English maybe English people who are English majors <laughs> care as well. <laughs> when uh, I say English people, I mean, those who are love English sure. as a subject. So just clarity. Uh, and then uh, finally, we'll go to the uh, the final section of the book. Well, before like before you get to that, oh. like I think it is, like I think as 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 you were reading it, as I've already read through it a bit, um, all who look at you will shrink back or shrink from you and say, "Wasted is Nineveh, who will grieve for her." Like that's the saddest statement in all the world. Yeah, it's bringing a a a people to a point where no one at all cares. Yeah, it's not just that you're nation is destroyed and you're shamed like you're not it's not just you're shamed but it's like no one cares well the 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 inference being there's no one left to care 
which is so sad. It's, I mean, I, it's, I'm, I'm thinking more of just like, I guess, like action movie, I guess, in my head. But well, totally. It and is like, sad though. Well, no, right. I, I agree with you. Like, because as we're reading it, I'm just like, holy cow, man. Like, this is woe to the bloody city. Like, the action movie through and through Gladiator, Braveheart. Like, these, mm. uh, these movies are all, you know, in some respects popping in my head, not because of, but then it's like, but as you read it, and I'm like, wait a minute, like that, you know, that verse seven, you know, hashtag Eli Angulo, uh, it just hits mm-hmm. different. Like it is this picture and it's sad, like it's, it's heartbreaking. And I almost can, as, as you're reading it, I can almost sense like the, the, the grief in and of Nahum and, and the heart of God, as he says it, like, yeah. and all who look at you, like no one's going to grieve for you. No one's going to comfort you. Like you're utterly desolated and alone. And that is like the most gut wrenching truth uh, that I, I I don't ever want to experience. So, anyways, sorry to be a Debbie Downer. Yeah. Well, it's, just, it's heavy. It's like I can't. It's it's speaking it, Debbie it, Downer. Different. Uh, as we've read the end of most of the prophetic books that we've gone through, the ending is almost always. Um, but there will come a day. Yeah, of coming restoration. There will come. A, but if you repent, if you turn away. Listen here to these last two verses of the entire book. This is it. This is how the book ends. It says, your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. But wait, it gets better. Here's 19. Uh, There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has come, has not come your unceasing evil. End of book. So there's, there's, there is no restoration. There's no redemption. He said, I mean, to bring that last line into, or that last stanza into uh, modern English a little bit, or into modern parlance, I suppose you could say, it would essentially being like, there's no, there's no coming back. Like your wound is mortal. You're going to die. Everyone who knows that is happy about it because you've committed evil against them. And then that's how, that's how Nahum ends his prophecy so, so crazy dude, just brutal you think um oh man yeah the the with obadiah you think the language about what's going to happen to edom is intense yeah <laughs> it's just it's just pretty intense here so there well, you go the csb says it this way Ooh. and so all i think about is a shia labeouf gif shia labeouf you know when he's standing up and clapping like a standing oh, ovation yeah uh, but it says, there's no remedy for your injury. Your wound is severe. All who hear the nose, noise, news, news about you will clap their hands because of you. For who has not experienced your constant cruelty? Boom. Um, like who, like, I don't know. Like I just, and it, it shows the deep reality of, of brokenness and, and lostness and depravity and sin and all these things. And, and like the simple fact, like that we even revel and celebrate in people's utter destruction to failure because of the cruelty, like. It's heartbreaking to really think like we're we're celebrating yeah. the desolation of 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 people, uh, but at the same time because of the cruelty and that that was it. Like this is why God's wrath was poured upon. Go back to the reason why is because of the overbearing, constant cruelty and wanting to fight and conquer. So mm-hmm. crazy! What a that was a fun book. There you be. Well, that's Nahum. Uh, we yeah, we had a question. This is why this is why I liked podcasts because <laughs> it, it allows us to read slowly books that we haven't read before or really read. There you go. Well, we're moving on to our question that we got in this week, or I think it came in last week, actually, but you know. Yeah, but it fits perfectly this week. Yeah, it actually does. And I was at the beach. So, uh, so but before we do, just for, as a reminder, leave us a five-star review on whatever you're listening on, uh, whatever app. If you're not, if you're listening on an app that doesn't allow for reviews, just download Apple Podcasts and Which give I us a five-star. I don't think most apps do, but some 
sometimes it's a little hard. I'll so I was surprised. Apple Podcast. Just so you know, I know one of our listeners. He actually just told me he goes to our church here. He works here, but he told me he couldn't find the word to leave a review. I screenshot and it's in the bottom left hand as you scroll down to look at reviews. Just saying. Boom. There Love you for you to do it real quick. Take 30 seconds and leave us a review. All right. Question that came in today uh, or this week. Hi, gents. Thank you. Hello. Well, hello. Hello, listener. Hello, good uh, sir. <laughs> hope you had a good week off as the church was literally being torn apart. Wait, what? So fun fact, uh, our actual, if, if you don't attend the Grove Church, we are tore down our old kids wing to make way to build a new auditorium. We had we had a north wing that we renovated three yep. years ago for better kids space. So this other wing has not been used except it's, for a dumping ground storage. It's been referred to as the ghost wing. So yes. this week it got torn down uh, pretty crazy because it was built, I think it was built in like the 80s. So it'd been well, last week. So I guess, yeah, this this week would have, yeah. And Sorry. literally a bunch, of, a bunch of us just kind of stood outside watching this giant excavator just rip apart the it was, i mean it was, it was it was pretty impressive to behold so there you go if you're interested listen we as humanity can make some pretty remarkable machines yeah but i wasn't here to see it i was on vacation if you're interested you can go on facebook and there's a couple pictures and there's a time lapse video as well is it up already it. well when they're listening it'll be up oh that's right wow I, just I, I ruin i just let you in behind the curtain my ruin bad. the effect aaron my why bad. don't you my bad. Uh, so anyway, so their question though, is what makes someone a prophet? Uh, first Corinthians 14 talks about them in the early church. So it is more important than just, or so it is more than just Isaiah and his well-known buddies in the old Testament, which I like that phrasing. <laughs> yeah, you're my favorite. Okay. So Not what you Evan, but the, the one who wrote, sent the question. There you go. Um, okay. So there's a couple things I think to differentiate with. Um, I would argue, I don't know where you land on this actually. So we might disagree. We might not. I would argue that there's a difference between the office of prophet and someone who prophesies, if that makes sense. So the way I would differentiate it is... Can you get voted in to be a prophet? Right. So the way I differentiate is uh, a a capital P prophet is someone who got appointed specifically to deliver a message to a specific group of people. So... Um, like Moses is kind of recognized as like the first prophet, but then you have Elijah and then all the yeah. prophetic books, so Isaiah to Malachi, um, all of them. And then in the New Testament, I would argue that John the Baptist is a prophet. Like there's kind of like those people there. Um, today, I don't think I'm comfortable saying that there's the office of prophet where you kind of just like say, this is what I am. Uh, but I do think the gift of prophecy is still active. So if that makes sense, that's kind of how I would phrase it. Um, a couple things as far as what makes someone a prophet to, to land on. Um, number one, I think a lot of times we think of prophecy as being predictions about the future, um, which is often an aspect of it, but that is definitely not like when you read through the prophetic books, most of it is not saying this is what's going to happen. It's kind of just declaring, here's what the Lord has said. Um, and so I think almost all prophecy bears with it this idea of turning to God, essentially repentance. Even like when you think of John the Baptist, his whole message was about repenting and preparing for uh, the one who would come after him is the idea. Uh, And then usually it's a company, although not always, because I guess when you look into a lot of the prophetic books, either they didn't happen or we just don't see them, but it's a lot of times confirmed by miracles. So like with Elijah, think about um, the fire coming down and consuming uh, the offering that he had wedded um, with a bunch of prophets is kind of the way it works. So when there's a specific message, God will often do something that shows that this person is actually speaking truth because there are false prophets, and we see those all throughout what? the old, yeah, no, we see those all throughout the Bible. Uh, 
Balaam comes to mind, but there's a, a bunch of, I think, the 400 prophets of Baal that get put to death after Elijah's thing. Um, so there are people who claim to be prophets or claim to speak for God that don't. So what makes someone a prophet is really just under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking the words that God would speak. And I guess what that can translate to today is speaking the words that God would speak when God gives people messages uh, specifically for people. So that's kind of how, where I land on it. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the on that whole deal. Um, sorry, I'm looking something up because I didn't. Oh, no worries. Ah, the sound of okay, silence. So I think I think a couple of things. I think I would I would agree with you and differentiate between the office of prophet, which is like the noun, the person who's a prophet, versus the prophetic. Um. The person who speaks prophetically doesn't always mean they're a prophet, but I don't know if I would agree with you saying that the office of president, pre- president, <laughs> the office of prophet, um, isn't for today. I think if that's how you said it. Sure. Um, I think the gift of prophecy is for today, but I don't think that the office God, of prophet God is given for today. calls to prophets. He's he's not raising up prophets today. And may, and maybe more of what I'm thinking of is in the sense of like, no one's writing books of the Bible today. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, maybe that's the main, maybe that's the main part of it as far as like someone who's directly speaking that way. Sorry, I continue though with what you're saying. Well, I, it's I, hard I, to differentiate. I'm trying, I'm trying to understand what you're saying because this is where I, I, the disagreement might be. If you say that there are no prophets today and the, obviously, yes, there's no authors of scripture today for sure. Right. Um, but not all prophets in scripture wrote books of the Bible. Samuel's a great example of that. He didn't write right. first and second Samuel. Um, so maybe, I, no, Nathan, sorry, not Samuel. Sorry, Nathan. Um, he was a prophet and he hasn't written a book of the Bible. Um, so I, I, I would simply say this, like, and, he, and this is what I was looking up in Ephesians 4. It actually says that Jesus still gives. Like he, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Like he gave the church these roles to fill. Right. Um, and now it's not a quote unquote capital P prophet, but I still think that there is a person and a role for prophets. Um, now here's the thing. There's a ton of false prophets. Um, and I think we've got to be very careful how we manage and, and mitigate what's prof- what's what's legit, right. what's not. This is where the word of God comes into play. It's probably a different podcast question at a different time. Um, but I, I mean, for me, like what makes someone a prophet for me is very simple. The call of God. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, absolutely. That, that's how you, when you're answering the, like if you were to answer the question directly, how, what makes a prophet, it's God's call in their life. Just like what makes me a pastor is not the fact that I have a pastoral role, but God has called me to pastor. Um, and I would say biblically, if you're a Christian, you're called to minister. You're called to a role of pastoring in some way, shape or form. Maybe it's leading a small group or a life group, or you're, uh, you have a group of people at work that you're loving and caring and praying for and, and being their, you know, shoulder when they need it and they're being their voice of reason. Like there's ways that God has called us to pastor that are not typically connected directly to church, excuse me, to church. So all of that to say, I think what make God, what makes God someone a prophet is, is to simply put as a God's call in their life. Now, how do you validate that? I think you've, there's a vetting process that I haven't established, but I think there is a way to determine whether someone is a real prophet that has been called by God, established by God versus a false prophet, which again, scripture is that right. measuring stick. So I guess here, I guess here's what I would say. Cause that's, that's good clarifying. Um, yeah. Cause that's where I'm getting hung up, right. hung up on is like, how are you defining a prophet? Like so noun I, person right. 
Um, so I think today there are people who use, who God has given the gift of prophecy to, who engage in prophetic words. Um, so I guess what I'm really differentiating is I think the time of new revelation being revealed on the level of scripture is over, I guess is what, more what I'm saying. So I think there's people who have individual words for people, mm-hmm. or there's people who have words for like congregations or whatever it is. Um, but I think there's a, there's a, in my mind, I slightly differentiate between the binding hold that that has versus the binding hold that yeah. scripture has. And so I guess that's more of what I'm saying. Like people who come out and say like, I'm prophet so-and-so, and here's a new revelation that like, yeah, is new, completely new out of left totally field. agree with you. So I think Joseph that's, Smith. I think that's more, yeah, jo- uh, Joseph Sachs, that's actually a great it's example. It's a great example, yes. And I would agree with you. I would agree that, that, that the role of God's prophet to the world probably is not existent today. And I, I say probably because it's, it's rarely should we say it doesn't. You want right? to be careful being definitive. Um, but I think, but I do think God raises up people that could speak to an entire nation still today. Um, now I don't, I don't have anybody in my back, in the back of my mind that would think that way, but I don't think that they have to add new revelation, but I think they can add, they can speak what's already been revealed in a way that stays in alignment with scripture and reveals scripture to a deeper, right. Deeper uh, uh, place, I guess, if that's the way to say it. So, um, so that's just where I would land on this. Um, but answering the question directly, prophet is God's call. That's how you determine who's a prophet, but. Which is kind of, which is, it, it is an interesting point, but it, it's, it's hard to verify, but that is all throughout scripture. That is what it is. Like when you look at Isaiah, it's in the, in the year King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord and it's his story of his calling to be a prophet with a lot of the major prophets. They have that story of like when God actually called them. So what makes a prophet a prophet is the hand of God on their lives essentially is there. So there you go. Hopefully that was a little bit of a confusing conversation, but hopefully that was a little bit helpful. Yeah, I hope so too. Like it, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I hope that we didn't provide a lot of confusion to, but it's trying to work through get, to get clarity. Anyways, there you go. Thanks for listening. All right. Hope you have a great week. That wraps it up. Uh, (laughs) Just a reminder, we are a resource of the Grove Church, but not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find all of our past messages, past uh, episodes of this and our blog on grove.church. Also, if this has uh, blessed you in any way and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can do that on the website as well. There's a gift button in the upper right-hand corner. So thanks for for doing it if you do. And also, just a little side note, I don't preview the questions before you come down here, so you kind of get our random thoughts. So it's fun. Love you guys. Have a great day. See you.